Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. My guest today is Managing Editor James Kleiman to give us an update on the commission lawsuits as we have some important dates coming up and to talk about the general state of the real estate profession with new data from NAR and other sources. James, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, good to be back. Great to have you back. And our topic today is so timely. It is about really looking at the real estate profession, right? Looking at the people who are in real estate and some of the challenges going on, sort of the state of the real estate profession as we head into 2024. Of course, we've had major challenges with the lawsuits. Um, and then there's just some things about the the way that things are structured, especially in a down market that are just so challenging. So can't wait to, to dive in. First, maybe give us um, a small update on the commission lawsuits and any new, new news there since the beginning of the year. So we've been tracking all of the various lawsuits across the country. We now have a full page set up. So if you want to look at a timeline of when these all initially came in, which came first, where it is in the process, the legal process, uh, you can do so at Housing Wire. And we did have a case that was filed right around the uh, the holiday, the winter break, and it's out of Maryland. It's very similar to all the others, right? It essentially argues that cooperative compensation is a violation of antitrust law, and it should be stripped, thrown into a fire, and, uh, you know... <laughs> <laughs> and we should radically reinvent how buyer commissions are paid, right? And so that in and of itself is not new. I think everybody in the industry expects at some point in the next year, they're probably going to get named. You know, the brokerages at least, I, I think pretty much every large brokerage that we cover regularly has already been named to a case. There are about, about 15 what we consider to be copycat lawsuits. So the original lawsuits are Sitzer Burnett, the Morrill case out of Illinois, the No Select case out of Massachusetts. These are really sort of the kind of the original three. And then there's another called Batten. There are Batten 1 and Batten 2. And then a whole slew of copycat cases. They're in Texas and South Carolina. They're now in Maryland. They're in, you know, so many different places. And, um, you know, they're, they're all really kind of one and the same. We expect that some of them are just going to get wiped out, either because there is going to be some major movement in one of the original cases, and judges typically don't want to have the same cases argued in different areas that are largely the same, so they typically get consolidated. Um, but so much of this hinges on what really happens in the, one of the first cases, which is Sitzer Burnett. Now, we are still waiting on what is called injunctive relief. In other words, the plaintiffs in Sitzer Burnett won the case, and the judge now needs to determine what sort of relief is is owed. And, and I don't just mean monetarily speaking. The damages in that case, of course, with the trouble effect are about $5.3 billion. Uh, not that that number is ever going to manifest in a, a real world way. You know, we're not talking about like people swimming like Donald Duck and gold coins. Um, now, what we are talking about 
is what happens to the cooperative compensation rule, what we call the NAR participation rule. And so the judge has wide latitude over what he can do. And we are expecting him to make a decision in the next few months. It could come any time. There's really no defined timeline for Judge Stephen Bow to say, here's what I'm going to do. Now, all in the meanwhile, the case is being appealed. So that case will probably hit appeals later this year. And we have similar, kind of a similar case in which the DOJ is really trying to roll back um, a settlement that the Trump administration made with the NAR about cooperative compensation and um, a few other policies that are related, but not necessarily the same as the civil case. So that's probably going to happen in February, March. We do expect a lot of the arguments to be coming in in the next week. And and so, yeah, I mean, these are all just kind of slowly working their way through the court system. And we're most likely going to have years of appeal, regardless of the adjudication in Sitzer Burnett. And uh, I think the copycat cases are going to keep coming and these brokerages and the NR are going to have to continue to fight. And they have a lot of money that they're going to allocate toward those fights. And they've hired a lot of very, very expensive, experienced litigators who are comfortable arguing in the Supreme Court and uh, have undoubtedly <laughs> very, very expensive services on offer. So it's it's going to be a pretty big year just, just for the court cases alone. Um, but how it's going to shake out, nobody really knows. Nobody really knows. And, and um, it is crazy as we go into 2024, just thinking about how this, this year things could really change. I mean, we're, we are on it. Yes, it's working its way through, but like, this is, this is, feels like a tipping point, right? I mean, I don't think anybody took it as seriously um, as maybe they should have before the, that verdict came down and it was just like, oh, okay, wait, (laughs) this is, this is serious. And, and you just wrote up, um, you know, you wanted to talk about um, the Consumer Federation of America and some of the things that they found when they looked at real estate agents and, and sort of the state of, of the real estate agent as a profession. Yeah, this one's really interesting. I posted this on LinkedIn and um, I I would ask people to take a look. Uh, We'll we'll definitely leave a link in the notes here below. Um, But basically, so the CFA, obviously the Consumer Federation of America is a consumers group and they have been very, I think, clear about their position on real estate commissions. They believe that they are too high and that the consumer would benefit from widespread significant changes to the structure of how agents are really doing their work. And I don't mean in, in the pure sense of like the laws, the mechanics of say the NAR or state licensing or anything like that. I mean, basically their, their thesis here is there are way too many agents (laughs) and because there are so many agents and there's an economic incentive from the brokerages in some cases to have so many agents on on their you know list of 1099s people don't get a great experience in some cases right so this doesn't quite mesh with what you often hear from individuals right like individuals will tell you oh i sold my house and i thought the agent was really good uh, i bought a house my agent did a great job of suggesting that i look at 
you know, the service or that I get this inspector or, you know, oh, this thing I was scared about with the foundation is just not something you need to be scared about. It's totally normal. The house is fine. It's dirty, whatever. Um, but on a collective, you know, we're talking about just the NAR alone has 1.5 million members. And that's not including all of the licensed agents in the country, which is probably closer to two and a half million. And if you look at the numbers, we've known this for a while. The vast majority of business that is done by real estate agents is done by kind of a select few. It's not even what we call in the industry, like the 80-20 rule, right? Where 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. It's probably closer to like 90-10 at, at best. It might even be closer to 95-5. And so what the CFA did, and, and they've done a couple real estate analysis reports on, on the industry, really where the agent kind of fits into how much are they making, how much business are they pulling in, how many are there, you know, in, in a certain territory, right? And so the most recent one is they wanted to look at a couple specific areas across the country and determine very simply how many deals have these agents done over the past year. And so they look at four what they consider to be pretty diverse areas. So there's central Pennsylvania around sort of the Harrisburg area for those who, who know Pennsylvania, Orlando, Florida, Minneapolis, Minnesota, and Tucson, Arizona. And so they look at, I believe it was five, you know, fairly well-established brokerages in each of those four regions. And then they did a random sampling of 100 agents um, per brokerage per area. So they had a total sample of about, yeah, 2,000 agents, right? So 2,000 um, and a hundred of them, again, are randomly selected from each area. And so what they do is they look at sales during the previous year. They look at realtor.com and Zillow and homes.com. And then they look at the individual agent websites. And so if you look down the percentage of agents who did zero or one sale over the last year in central Pennsylvania, I'm just going to list off some of the brokerages these are big name brokerages for the most part, with the exception of one. Berkshire Hathaway, 55% of the agents that were sampled did zero to one deal in the last year. 36% of Coldwell Banker agents in central Pennsylvania of those sampled did zero to one deal that year. Iron Valley, which looks to be a boutique brokerage in the area, 46% of the agents did no deals whatsoever or did one deal in the last year. And Keller Williams, 67% of agents did zero or one deal. Remax, 26% did zero or one deal in the last year. And it's basically the same story all the way down. So if you go to Orlando, of the Century 21 agents who were sampled, 63% of them did zero or one deal. Coldwell Banker, 56%. Keller Williams, 51%. La Rosa, again, I imagine it's a boutique brokerage down there, 65%. Rutenberg, 68%. And it's pretty much the same story across the board. And of those who did zero to five sales on a percentage basis, 86% of Berkshire Hathaway agents in central Pennsylvania, of those who were polled, did zero to five sales in a year. 
59% at Coldwell Banker, 71% at Iron Valley, 76% at Keller Williams, 44% at Remax. And these numbers are really consistent. So overall, 49% of the 2,000 agents, again, they're randomly selected across these four different areas and five different brokerages per area. 49% did zero or one deal in the last year. And 70% did zero to five deals. And so it really says, at least to the CFA, this is a part-time business. The vast majority of these agents already have a job, right? They're local teachers or they're, you know, doing something else. But there is no way that they can be maintaining a career as an agent if they did zero or one deal over, you know, the course of a year. The numbers just don't work, right? They'd be making generously, what, a couple thousand dollars, right? And so it sort of contrasts that to the annual NAR report, right, where they look at the member survey and they say, okay, you know, like the average agent is a 66-year-old woman and she does this many deals and et cetera, et cetera. Their point is, look, if you're an agent and you're filling out the NAR survey, you're much more likely to be like a professional agent who does this than, you know, a teacher who did one deal in the last year, for example. And the CFA believes that there are a lot of consequences for both consumers and the profession of real estate when you have so many part-timers, right? About half the people can't really be doing this and providing the best standards available. So yeah, I think it's a really interesting report and I've gotten quite a bit of feedback, both good and bad about it. Um, I'm, you know, my position has been for a long time that I think it's too easy to be an agent in America. I think the licensing requirement should be much stronger. I think people are better served when their agents know what they're doing and have experience and have, you know, served clients in similar situations. And right now, uh, a lot of agents just don't, don't meet that standard. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I think it's, you know, there's some thorny issues here because um, I totally understand what you're, what you're saying. And I think that a lot of the people who are members of NARS, so those more professional agents, they, they can often feel this way. They would like to get some of the, you know, hobbyists out of the profession because first of all, it leaves more for them. But also to your point, I mean, sometimes those people, you know, your aunt Sally that you always talk about or, um, you know, whatever, like they don't always, you know, they're the reason that maybe some people have a bad, um, you know, uh, a bad taste of agents in their mouth because they're like, you know, these are just hobbyists. They don't know what they're doing. But on the other hand, I I would argue that real estate, you know, is one of the few things that you can do in this country without a degree and make a whole lot of money, right? Like obviously the people who are doing zero deals a deal uh, a year or one deal a year are not, are not those people, but there is amazing opportunity here and you hate to do anything to shut that down. 
Yeah, I mean, it's true. This is sort of the quintessential American profession, right? Like we're a nation of individualism. We're a nation of entrepreneurship. And real estate is a very accessible way into those, you know, kind of Americana <laughs> dreams. And there, there is definitely a double-edged sword here, right? So I, I think, you know, you would, you would raise professional standards if you didn't have the proverbial on Betty's that are collectively, you know, again, we're talking about 49% of the agents are not doing much business at all, but given the numbers, right, the raw number of agents, probably about more than a million, right? Like easily over a million across the country are still somehow involved in the process as part-timers. And so that is taking money out of the pocket of a professional who has, you know, maybe they only do five deals a year, but it is their full-time job, right? Like they are, they are more skilled, most likely. They are more knowledgeable, most likely. I would imagine that the top 1%, top 2% of agents lose very, very, very few deals to the odd Bettys of the world. But it does affect those that are kind of working their way up, that are building, you know, they're probably starting with off-city leads and Zillow leads and really trying to establish their own book of business. Um, but it takes a couple years to get there. You know, the vast majority of agents wash out. And that's also true in, in the mortgage world of loan officers. If you don't already have a network, if you don't have a mentor, if you don't have a training program, if you don't have the ability to, not even ability, ability is probably too strong a word. If you don't have the right mix of circumstances and the money to maybe suffer a bit, you're much more likely to leave. And so I do think that it's, you want to find an, a nice harmonious balance where you have enough people who want to get into the profession and do it for real and can become legitimate pros who offer better service and higher standards across the industry. So you don't want the barrier of entry to be so high that just nobody gets in. And then you have something like the appraisal profession, right? Where you see very, very, very few people really you want to have kind of getting into that industry and giving it a new perspective and giving it, you know, ways to serve a variety of different customers, right? I think one of the biggest complaints we have in, in the industry, at least the niche industries that we cover is that appraisal is like a very, very, um, you know, small tent. And you want to have a little more diversity of experience, of ethnicity, of gender. So real estate doesn't I mean, in some ways it does have that problem as well, um, but you're probably also lacking the training. So one of the complaints that the CFA puts out there is you have all of these big brokerages and their models are often built on fee structures, right? So if you're an agent and even if you only do a deal or two a year or whatever, you pay the desk fee, you pay the tech fee, you pay whatever, and just in the off chance that you are able to serve a client or do a deal, that's worth it to you. And so you will pay the, let's say for argument's sake, it's like $750 a year. Maybe it's, you know, $75 a month or something. Maybe it's a little more than that. You know, they all have kind of different different models, but they're all kind of doing the same thing. You know, they, they want to have agents and they want to have, um, 
the reliable revenue that comes in from it. Some of them offer really robust training programs. Some of them require agents to hit a certain, you know, dollar volume to stick around. And those are going to be the more professional shops. There are a lot of brokerages out there that just want the fees from the agents because that's what their business model was built on. And if they don't do any deals, like whatever, they didn't do any deals that year, you know, like what is it to them? It doesn't really matter um, because they're making money on the fees. They're not making money on the transaction, right? So you have a lot of what I think the CFA believes are kind of misaligned economic incentives. And even if you look at licensing, it's you just need a pulse in some states to pass some of these exams. I mean, I'm I'm not a professional by any stretch of the imagination. I ordered when I got this job, Sarah, like nearly four years ago. Just curious, like, okay, what if I wanted to take my own practice test to become a real estate agent? And so I did that for a couple states and I didn't study, I didn't look around, it I passed easily. Like it was no problem whatsoever. Uh and, and so yeah, I mean I think you need to come up with maybe a different tiered structure. Like if you've only done, if you haven't done a deal in more than a year, maybe you need to take a new exam or maybe, you know, maybe there should be some, something in between letting anybody with a pulse in and making it so difficult to get in that, you know, you would dissuade a lot of otherwise worthy professionals from joining. Man, it's, uh, you know, as I think about like the, the different ways this could be done, um, I do think the licensing is one. And then, and then again, it's like, we think about the training that could be offered at the, at the brokerage level, right. Um, or, or the teams. So we're about to do the, um, we, every, every year we have top agent, we have rankings for agents and, and brokerages through our, um, real trends. Right. And those are, really the top agents, we look at the top 1000, the top 500, all, all of those, these are the people, these are the 90, the 5% that are doing the 95% basically. And one of the questions we always look at is like, do agents do better under a team model or a brokerage or a team ridge? And, and that's been kind of a, a question over the last couple of years, because it's like, you know, what is a structure that, that supports agents in a way that makes them the most successful? And it's, there's not a clear answer to that. I don't think. No, there isn't. But the agents who do stick around, they, in the vast majority of cases, one of two things happens. One, they have a mentor, they have a training program, and they stick with it. And their mentor really does an excellent job of giving them the tools and the contacts they need. Maybe they start doing some rentals. Maybe they're an assistant on some of the, in some cases, it's broker or something, you know, it's maybe a team leader just an established agent, right? And that helps them build a book of business or you are an agent and you are self-directed. You have a book of business. You already have contacts. You know where to look. You have a sphere, right? You have a sphere of influence and you're able to mobilize really quickly and do it well enough where you can get those deals. But if you, let's say you come from a small family, you're in a town that you didn't grow up in, don't have a lot of contacts and you want to become an agent. If you don't have a really solid mentor, the likelihood is that you are not going to do enough business to get in, right? Because like, by the way, like if you want to buy leads on Zillow or OpCity, you're going to be paying like what, 35, 40% up to 50% just 
just to cover the cost of the lead. And then you have to pay for your own gas. You have to pay for your own insurance. You have to pay for all of these. And then just, you got to feed yourself, right? You have taxes on all of this. And so I think a lot of people undersell how difficult it is to break in if you don't have a really strong network or have benefited from, you know, enough people who have taken an interest in you and given you the tools and support needed to do, you know, proper work and, and grow. But it's it's really tough if you don't have that. And that's true in like so many professions, right? It is. Um, I do think, you know, we've talked about this before, but I do think that that was one of the points in the trial on these uh, commission lawsuits that just didn't land with the jury. I don't know if it wasn't presented enough or it wasn't, uh, you know, compelling enough, or if they've watched too many shows about, you know, millionaire uh, real estate investor, uh, real estate uh, realtors, right? Like agents, but you know, it, it obviously they did not think about, you know, cause, cause what they voted was like, Oh, that buyer agent is making too much money off of doing nothing. And it's like, wow, it is, it is tough. And just to get the customer, I mean, we're not talking, you know, the, the whole shtick was like, well, they can just look on Zillow. What, what do they need you for? And it's like, it's more complicated than that, you know? And I don't think that came through. No, it, it didn't. I, I think that the, the defendants in that case could have done a much better job of clearly demonstrating that these are your neighbors, you know, these are the PTA moms, these are, uh, you know, the, the women at your local book club and they're professionals and they take their training seriously. And and by the way, no one tells them what to set the commissions at. They make it themselves. Um, they didn't really portray them as just sort of like the everyday American success story in your local community. Um, I, I think it was a big missed opportunity. And, and, it did occur on some level. There were a couple agents who did appear and who had risen to the top of their local brokerage, but there wasn't enough of that. I I think it it was poorly played by the defendants. I would agree with that. Well, James, thanks for getting us up to date on where we are as we head into 2024. Again, listeners, you can find a lot of information, the latest podcast, articles, videos, everything we're doing on the commission lawsuits on that uh, page on Housing Wire. You can just search Housing Wire Commission Lawsuit. It'll come up. You've got the latest there and you can, and we even have a really cool uh, looking timeline as James talked about. So James, thanks for being on and we will keep an eye on that and, and see what's next. Appreciate it. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show or leave a comment. We'll see you back here on Monday for more news and insight.